I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15. As we continue our study through Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 15, today we'll be looking at verses 19 through 23, so the last little paragraph there in chapter chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there and turn to page 149 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then you can take that Pew Bible with you, and that's our gift to you today. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and use it. It will certainly bless your life. Who governs worship? Now, most of y'all probably know this, right? Y'all know, know the answer to this. Who governs worship? Uh, I don't govern it. Brother Larry doesn't govern it. And you don't govern it, right? God governs worship. And that's what we see today in our text. God governs worship. Uh, it, it's his worship service. And so we worship according to his plan, according to his program. Now, there's some order, organizational issues that come in that, that we have oversight over. Uh, but we do things because God in his word has told us these are the kinds of things that we're supposed to be doing in worship that honors and glorifies him. So God governs worship. Now, we're currently in this section in Deuteronomy, in the Deuteronomic Law, chapters 6 through 26 of Deuteronomy, that have to do with the fourth commandment. So this little section here has to do with the fourth commandment. And the fourth commandment, of course, is observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy unto the Lord. And if you remember back, a while back, when we looked at that law, that commandment, it has to do with the rights and privileges, God's rights and privileges. God has certain rights and privileges as our God. And one of his rights is the right to be worshipped, and worshipped in a way that he deems fitting, that he deems honoring. And so this text has to do with that. This is part of God's rights and privileges. Now as we've been going through this little section here, these few little chapters here, Uh, We've already seen that God has the right to collect the tithe from his people, right? He has a right to 10% of all that he has given us, uh, all that he has provided for us. He he only asks for 10%. He he allows us to keep 90, and he wants 10% back for his ministry, the work of his ministry. So he has the right to require that of his people. He has the right to require gracious giving of his people, He's given it to us, and so we should graciously be willing to give it to others as, the need, as needs arise. And now we come to this section, these little, this little paragraph, and we see that God has the right to govern worship. And we will not only see it here, but in the next uh, few paragraphs, in fact, as we start to, to get into this little uh, issue of the, the, the feast, the three feast, the free, three yearly feast. Of Israel, so we're starting this little section here today. As we start this a series of texts that deal with these three annual feasts in Israel, 
the first section here, verses uh, chapter 15, 19 through 23, this addresses the sacrifice of firstlings. The sacrifice of the firstlings. The firstborn of the flocks and the herds of Israel. And uh, the, this sacrifice of the firstlings was most likely, according to several of the scholars, the commentators who have written on this, most agree that uh, this was most likely to be brought on the Feast of Booths. Now, if you, if you know your Old Testament, uh, maybe you remember back when this was first set up and they were supposed to bring the firstlings eight days after they were born. But Moses is getting the people ready to go into the land of promise. And it's not going to be very, you know, they're not going to be able to just come from one end of the kingdom down to Jerusalem to, to bring their firstlings eight days later. So uh, they're, they're, because they're expanding, because they're spreading out over a, a larger area, he is allowing this to be done once a year. So they keep these firstlings and they keep them for the year until this and like I say, most scholars believe it was the Feast of Booths that the firstlings were brought to Jerusalem to be sacrificed. So while we are not, right, because we're New Testament Christians, the, the, we don't have the temple to go to. We're not required to offer up the, the firstborn of our flocks and herds. Most of us don't even have flocks and herds. And so we're not required to, to do this, but we still learn something from it, Right. There's still some, some principles here in this text that continue to apply to us. And as we see how God orders worship, right, how he governs worship, we see some characteristics here. In fact, we're going to see four characteristics of God-governed worship that we ought to think about. Now, we've seen other characteristics in other texts, so this just adds to it, right? This isn't all the characteristics of God-governed worship. But these are some very important characteristics of God-governed worship that we're going to see here today. So we'll see four characteristics of God-governed worship today in our text on the firstlings, on the sacrifice of the firstborn of their herds and flocks. So since it is just a paragraph, we are going to read this today. So if you will, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. And hear the word of the Lord, all the firstborn males that are born of your herd and flock, you shall dedicate to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, uh, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You shall eat it, you and your household, before the Lord your God, year by year, at the place that the Lord will choose. But if it has any blemish, it is, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You shall eat it within your towns. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it, as though it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant. And Lord, we do pray today that you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Lord, help us to learn from this text. Lord, even though uh, the direct application doesn't apply to us today, we're not in that situation. Lord, we certainly want to, it is your holy inspired and inerrant word, and we want to learn from it. So Lord, today, teach us. Teach us to improve our own worship, to better uh, 
uh, refine our own worship that we may honor and glorify you with all that we do have, Lord. So these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. So as we look at this text this morning on this sacrifice of the firstborn, the firstlings, uh, the first thing that we see here as we see the characteristics of worship from this text, the first thing that we see that is that worship is deserved thanksgiving. Worship is deserved thanksgiving. That is, God deserves to be thanked, right? God deserves to be thanked. Now, the whole deal with this offering, the sacrifice of the firstlings, goes back to the Exodus, you remember? And, and so God... He brought, there Israel was, they were in Egypt, they were in slavery to the Egyptians, and they cried out to God, God save us, and so God, he got Moses, said, go get my people, right? Go to Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh, set my people free. And you go through the whole story of the Exodus, and, and Pharaoh refused, and so God sent this series of plagues, ten total plagues that he sent on the Egyptians. And you remember the last plague. The very last plague that God struck on the Egyptians was that he struck down the firstborn of all the Egyptians, of man and beast. God struck down all the firstborn of the Egyptians as a judgment for them refusing to obey God and refusing to let God's people go. But in that, God saved, he redeemed the people of Israel, the firstborn of Israel. And so he told them, you, you go into your house and you take a lamb, right? You take a lamb and you sacrifice that lamb and you put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost and then you consume the lamb, you and your household, in your house. We'll talk more about this next week when we talk about the feast of the Passover. But uh, all of that, the, the lamb was sacrificed to, to redeem Israel. They weren't without sin, God could have struck them down as well. He could have rendered judgment on, on them as well, but he redeemed them by the blood of the Lamb. And because of God's redemption, he deserves to be worshipped. He deserves to be thanked. And that was the whole deal with this sacrifice of the firstlings. It was to remember God's redemption, how he redeemed Israel and brought them out of slavery. In fact, in Exodus chapter 13, verse 2, we see this very sacrifice ordained. God says, there consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast is mine. Now, the beast were to be sacrificed, lambs and the, the lambs, the, the goats, the, the, uh, the oxen. They were all to be sacrificed unto the Lord. The unclean animals were redeemed by a price, if you go on and, and read throughout Exodus there. And then later on, uh, the firstborn of man, the first male child of every family, they were to be given to the Lord, not sacrificed, but to the service of the Lord, unto the service of the Lord. And then later on, over in Numbers chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, we see that God, he changes this, and he requires the Levites. He declares the Levites to be the firstborn, right? He, he takes them as Israel's firstborn. And so the Levites, the whole tribe, 
serves as that sacrifice of service unto the Lord in place of the firstborn of every uh, household. And so God requires this firstlings, firstborn of, of all the beasts and firstborn of all the people to be given unto the Lord. And all of this is in remembrance of God's redemption, His salvation. It is a time to give thanks unto the Lord for His great and wonderful salvation. Now, God, in our case, we still have reason to give thanks to God, even though we're not the Israelites, though we're not going into the land of promise there in Palestine. We have greater reason for thanksgiving because God has not just saved us from a, a nation. He has saved us from our sins. He has saved us from sin and death and eternal damnation. How much more ought we to celebrate God and worship God and give God thanks for the redemption that He has given us in Christ Jesus? Oh, dear friends, we have such a wonderful reason to give thanks. God deserves our thanks, and we should resound with thanksgiving. Just as Mark singing, I want to thank you, Lord. I want to thank you. Boy, that should be all of our song today. Lord, I want to thank you. You have created me. You have given me life. You give me breath day by day. You put clothes on my back. You put food on my table. You provide for me over and over again. And you have given me salvation, eternal life in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for all that you have done. Oh, worship is deserved thanksgiving. It is deserved thanksgiving. It is giving God thanks for all that he has done. Just think about that. If someone opens the door for you, what do you say? Why, thank you. How much more ought we to thank God for all that he has done for us? All that He has, is, and will provide for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, worship is deserved thanksgiving. Second, worship is communal communion. Worship is communal communion. Now, my English teachers are probably thinking, well, that's kind of redundant. And it is. But uh, let me explain what I mean here. Worship is communal communion. Look what he says there in verse 20. What he says in verse 20. You shall eat it, you and your household, before the Lord your God. You shall eat it, you and your household, before the Lord your God. Let's take that and divide that little statement in half. You shall eat it, you and your household. Worship, first of all, is communal. It is communal. Communal is something that is shared in community. It is something that is shared in community. And that's what he's getting at here in this verse. You shall eat it. Not just you. It's not just a personal thing. It's you and your household. Now, we have to remember that in Israel, in this ancient Israel, household wasn't just husband wife and children right that wasn't the household no the household was husband wife children grandma grandpa aunt uncle niece nephew right it was everybody in the extended family typically i mean this was a, a large household uh, they were a communal 
people. And, and so households were quite large and it had to do with the whole family unit. And not only that, but there were also servants who served in those households. And, and we've seen that already as we've talked about worship in, in different texts of Deuteronomy. He says you, you bring your servants, you, your slaves, right? Your female slaves, your male slaves, which were, were servants, indentured servants of sorts. Uh, your, your, those who worked around your household and served you, they were to come as well and participate in this sacrifice. You and your entire household. And it's part of a feast, right? It's also part of a feast, so it's not just you coming to the temple, you and your household, but it's all of Israel coming to the place that the Lord will cause His name to dwell, and there they, wor they worship Him as a large community, worshiping the Lord, giving Him thanks. It is a communal affair. Worship is communal. It is a, a, something to be done in community. Now, don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean, I'm not saying that you can't worship on your own in private. Yes, there is such a, such a thing as private worship. If you're in your car and you're listening to worship music and you're singing to Jesus and you're praising Him, yes, that is worship. If you're at home in the mornings and, and reading your Bible and you're all there by yourself and you're reading your Bible and you're, you're, you're allowing God to speak to you through His Word and, and you worship, yeah, that's worship. Even your obedience to God outside of these walls, when you live in obedience to God, even that is a form of worship. So I'm not saying that private worship is not a thing. But when you look at the whole of Scripture, the emphasis is never on private worship. The emphasis in Scripture is always on community worship. The people of God coming together to worship the Lord in commune. Right? Coming together in community to, to give thanks to the Lord. There's something special about when God's people come together collectively in agreement and say, yes, we are here to praise God together. Worship is a communal affair. Yes, you can do it privately, but if you're not, I would dare say, if you're not gathering with the saints to worship your private worship is lacking. Your private worship is lacking because Jesus died on the cross not only to reconcile us to God, He died on the cross to also reconcile us to one another. And so when the, the saints come together to worship God together, that is a special occasion. And that's why Jesus says, where two or more are gathered, I'm there with you. Right? Because it's a special time. Worship is a community thing. It is a time for the community of God, the people of God, to come together and give thanks unto the Lord. So it is communal. But also, notice that it is communion. It is communion. It is before the Lord. It is before the Lord. Communion. The definition of that is the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts or feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. We're emphasizing the spiritual level, right? It's coming together and exchanging these intimate feelings about God. About God. It is communion with the Lord. 
We're coming not just together as his people, but we're coming together as his people in his presence. In his presence. Think about that. As I just said there a while ago, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus says, where three or more, two or more are gathered. Where two or more are gathered in my name, I am with them. I am with you. I think there's two or more here today, aren't there? And, and we've come gathered together in the name of Jesus. Guess what? Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Like, he, he's right here with us. He, he's present in this building. He is with us. Worship is the community coming together in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord. It's feasting. It's celebrating. It's giving thanks in the presence of the Lord. Now, I remember in grade school, you remember grade school? In grade school, and the teacher gets called to the office for a second. And, and you know, when she first leaves the room, it, it, you know, people kind of, all right, the whispering will begin. And, and if she comes back soon, it just it never gets past the whisper. But, but if she stays long, right, that whisper ends up to be a roar because, hey, the teacher's gone. As the cat's away, the mice will play. Think about that. But when the teacher comes back, everybody quiets down. When she opens that door, shh. Think about that. Think about that. Jesus is here. He is present with us. How, how would your worship differ let me ask this question. How would your worship differ if Jesus was standing right here in front of you? If Jesus were standing right here in front of you, how would your worship differ? What if he was standing on the stage today? Would your singing change? Would there be more passion in your voice? More animation in your body? If Jesus were speaking to you, would you be more attentive? Would you listen better? Take more notes? Well, guess what? Jesus is here. He's right here. And as His Word is being proclaimed, He's speaking. Jesus is here. We come to worship in the presence of of the Lord. So don't lose that. Don't lose sight of that. If, it, if you have to imagine him sitting right here, right? Imagine him up here because he is here. Worship as if Christ is here. Worship is in community with the saints and it is in communion with God. God is with his saints when they gather together to worship. So communion, worship is deserve thanksgiving. It is communion, it is communal communion, the gathering of the saints and communion with God. 
Third, worship is regular celebration. It is regular celebration. Notice what he says in the, the second part of verse 20. You shall eat it, you and your household, before the Lord your God, year by year at the place the Lord will choose. Year by year, the place the Lord will choose. Now, where do I get regular celebration here? Well, number one, this is a regular occasion, isn't it? Uh, it's regular. He says year by year. Now, here he is referring, of course, to that feast, that appointed feast, which I said earlier, most people agree that it was the Feast of Booze that they were to bring the, the firstlings to sacrifice them during the Feast of Booths. Uh, and so this was a regular time of year. Three times a year, the Israelites were required to come to Jerusalem, the place that God caused his name to dwell. They were required to come and gather together to worship, to celebrate before the Lord. Right To have these feasts, these festivals. Now, these feasts, these three feasts were year by year, but we've already covered the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath was week by week, week by week. Now, we're going to get into the importance of these yearly celebrations two weeks from now as we look at the, these other two, other two feasts, the last two feasts. Uh, but th there's importance in having regular times of worship not just year by year but week by week God's people coming together on regular time at a regular time in a regular place to worship before the Lord we're to do it week by week by week there's a lot of people you know you've heard of these CEO Christians right or CEO, yeah, CEO Christians, Christmas, Easter only Christians. That's not regular enough, right? You're not here to worship God, to worship Christ if you only come on Christmas, Easter, and that's it, the two big times of year. God's people should gather together on a regular basis every Sabbath Every Lord's Day for we as Christians, we should gather together to worship the Lord regularly because God deserves to be worshipped regularly. And this is a time of celebration, right? This is a, a time of feasting. The emphasis here is on this, this feast and feasting before the Lord. This was not a solemn occasion. Right? Think about it. A feast. Deuteronomy chapter 12 Verse 12 says, and you shall rejoice. We've already covered this. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants and the Levites that is within your towns. He has no portion or inheritance with you. You shall rejoice before the Lord. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of rejoicing. Now think about that. Think about a birthday party. Or an anniversary party, right? Birthday parties and, and anniversary parties, they're not uh, somber occasions, are they? No, they're not somber occasions. They're time for rejoicing, for celebrating some accomplishment. Another year sometimes is another accomplishment, right? It's a time for celebrating. And so is the time of worship when the saints come together to worship God on a regular basis. It is a time to celebrate God, to celebrate who He is, what He has done, 
what he is doing and will do. Right? It's a time of great celebration. It's not a time of mourning, but a time of rejoicing before the Lord. Worship. Worship. Worship the Lord together uh, with his saints. We're to worship the Lord together as his saints on a regular basis, celebrating all that God is, all that he has done, all that he is doing, and all that he will do. Worship is deserved thanksgiving. It's communal communion. It's regular celebration. And finally, worship is gratefully sacrificial. Worship is gratefully sacrificial. Look at the last three verses here. Uh, verse 20, starting in verse 21. But if it has... You're to bring the firstborn here. But if it has, if that firstborn has any blemish, if it is lame or blind, or has any serious blemish whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You shall eat it within your towns. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it as though it were a gazelle or a deer. Some wild kill. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. And we've already talked about that last little sentence there and the importance of that and how that uh, respects life, even animal life. But notice here the emphasis here in these last three verses. We're to give God your very best. You're to give God your very best, the firstborn of your flocks without spot or blemish. That was the requirement that was the requirement because the firstborn, the firstborn without spot or blemish, that was the very best of the herds and the flocks, wasn't it? That was the, the very best of their herds and their flocks. Their sheep, goats, their cattle. That was the very best. Now, I used to work at the sale barn. That's a livestock auction, excuse me, livestock auction. That's where I, I did, you know, from the time I, I got old enough to work, I worked at the sale barn until I left to, for the Marine Corps. And so I, I got to understand how livestock goes and how it sells. And, and, you know, if you have the prime beef, right, if you have a great A young bull calf come in there, he's just slick and pretty as can be, and, and that doesn't have a spot or a blemish on him whatsoever, guess what? You can... You can you can know that that bull calf, I almost said you can bet, right? But I, I shouldn't say that as a Baptist preacher. But you can know that if that slick bull calf comes in to the sale arena, that it's going to go for top dollar. But now if you get a, a bull calf that comes in there and he's got his ear cut off and he's got an eye poked out and Maybe he comes in with a little bit of limp. Guess what? That price is going to go down, 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 down. Because those without spot or blemish, those cattle that are in their perfect condition will always go for top dollar. God wants your very best. He don't want your seconds. He doesn't want your seconds. He wants your very best. Now, I've heard a lot of people, you know, try to take this principle and say, well, we're supposed to give God our very best, so you better suit up on Sunday. 
Well, I guess if you got a suit, then maybe that is your very best. But, but really, God isn't as much worried about your clothing as he is worried about some other things in your life, right? Times change. Jesus didn't wear a three-piece suit, right? His, his clothes, he, he may have had two pairs of clothes, and he wore them. When one got dirty, he put on the other pair and went and washed that first pair, right? And, and so it, it's not about clothing. It's not about clothing, as time changed, clothing styles change. Yeah, we should, we should dress appropriately, obviously. Uh, but it's not about clothing. When you give God your very best, we should be giving God our very best of everything. Of your money. Right? We've already talked about the tithe. Give God the very first 10%, the very best of your money. Give God the very best of your time. Give God the very best of your time. How about waking up in the morning and the first thing you do is spend a little time in God's Word. Or you say a little prayer. You give God thanks for all that He has done for you. How about giving Him a little time on the first day of the week to come gather with His saints to worship Him and praise Him. Give God the best of your time. Give God the best of your talent. Of your talent. Man, we see the people up here singing in the choir and the praise team. They're giving God the very best of their talents, and I thank them for that. Maybe your talent isn't singing, right? It doesn't have to be singing. It doesn't have to be teaching or preaching or whatever like that. Maybe your, your best, your greatest gift is uh, to pray. Maybe your, your, your spiritual gift is praying. Man, give God that gift of prayer. Maybe your gifted finances. Hey, why don't you offer up your gifts and talents to serve on a finance committee or a budget committee? Maybe you're a good organizer. How about organize, helping throw in and, and helping some of our different teams organize different things that we do? Give God the very best of your gifts and talents. And how about this? Giving God the very best of your attitude. Giving God the very best of your attitude. And some people come to church with a bad attitude, don't they? I've, I've done it before, right? I'm just in a bad mood, just had a bad week and come in. I'm just kind of dragging around. That's not my very best. When we come here, we should get our hearts ready as we come to church every morning. Get your heart ready. Prepare for worship. Come with an attitude of praise. Not... Well, it's Sunday. I got to go to church. So let's go do this. No, come with excitement. We get to come to worship. We get to come praise God together as His people. Woo! Man, that ought to excite you. Every morning, you ought to get up. Every Sunday morning, you ought to get up ready to go to church. Oh, man, I can, I can tell you now. I know some mornings I don't get that excited when I get up. But I'm usually that excited by the time I get up here. And I know it if, I've ever, if I ever miss a Sunday. When I do miss a Sunday, I know it. This is the best time of week for me. Man, I love coming together with the saints of God and worshiping together. What a wonderful day. Oh, give God the best of your attitude. And why? Why give God your very best? Well, it's simply because of this. Because God has given you his very best. 
God has given you His very best when He gave you His only Son. For God so loved the world. He so loved you that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on Calvary's cross for you in your place. So that, the, that if you believe in Jesus and surrender your heart to Christ, you will be saved. Oh, God did not withhold His very best for you. So don't withhold your very best for Him. In everything, give God your best. Because God certainly has given His best for you. Worship God by gratefully sacrificing your very best to Him because He has sacrificed His very best for you. Dear friend, God governs worship. He has the right to govern our worship, to guide it and and require certain attitudes and attributes of our worship. God governed worship that certainly pleases God is deserve thanksgiving because God certainly deserves our thanks. It is communal communion. It's worshiping together with the saints before the Lord. It is regular celebration, not just here and there, but on a regular basis we gather together to celebrate God's redeeming grace. And it's grateful, gratefully sacrificial. It is a grateful sacrifice, grateful for God, for all that He has done. He has given us His best. So we bring our very best to lay down at His feet. I wonder, how is your worship today? How is your worship today? Are you worshiping as before the Lord? Remember, as we go into this time of meditation here in just a minute, I want you to remember. I want you to think about that. I want you to imagine Jesus standing right here. And I want you to worship Jesus as He stands here before you. I want you to pour out your heart to Him and worship Him and give thanks to Him. Worship as before the Lord. But we know that true worship only begins when we have a right relationship with God. True worship only begins when you have a right relationship with God. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, I want you to know that, dear friend. If you don't get anything else, make sure you get this. God gave His very best for you. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for you. He died and was buried and was raised again to show that all of your sin has been paid for. And He rules and reigns in heaven above now. And God says, if you'll receive Christ, right? He's offered the gift of salvation in His Son. If you receive it, you'll have eternal life. You can't worship God. You can never worship God unless you worship through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to worship, you got to worship in Jesus. If you've never trusted in Jesus, I just want to uh, encourage you today. Surrender to Christ. 
surrender to Christ. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is, is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Give your life to Christ today and begin to worship God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you that in this text that seems somewhat foreign to us, Lord, as we're far away from the temple and the whole sacrificial system, Lord, it seems kind of foreign, but in this text, Lord, you show us, you guide us in our worship. And so, Lord, we want to be obedient to that in all the ways that it applies to us today. So, Lord, help us to condition our hearts, to train our hearts, to worship you in a way that is honoring and pleasing to you. Let us not neglect, never neglect meeting together to celebrate all that you have done are doing and will do in our lives and lord if there's any today who've never surrendered their life to jesus they don't know what worship is because they have never been in a relationship with jesus christ lord i pray today that you would open their hearts and their minds let them see jesus let them turn to him today and begin a life of true faithful worship in him now these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.